Shut up and sit down. Have a good time. Having a good time. Gotta mute that mic, Tom. Yep, I'm getting there. <laughs> Say, we still have that echo issue. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students. People looking to discover more about superheroes and the world, because both are spectacular. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson, and our transient tenant, Twitter time. <laughs> he picked out his own name for that one. <laughs> Uh, where are we? Oh yeah! SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey, exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, or science, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. The cloud has fundamentally altered our DNA. That's gross. Reed, look at me. I can't. He's hitting up from his core. You don't want to walk around on fire for the rest of your life, do you? Is that a trick question? Come on, am I the only guy who thinks this is cool? What if we got these powers for a reason? I've always wanted power. Victor, you always thought you were a god. Let's not fight. No, let's. Flamer! And yes, there will be spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Four. Fantastic yeah. Four 2005 is the I name of the movie. Say dramatic pause in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's where we're supposed to put the title of the episode. Yeah, like a lot of the stuff, like you just kind of know off the top of your head. So you don't like yeah. we've been doing this enough. So when we throw a new person into the mix and they just read from the outline, they tend to <laughs> make a, a quick, a little, little errors like that. Um, but we're good. First opinions: Fantastic Four, two thousand five. Redeem yourself, Tom. Um, I saw this movie in theaters eleven years ago. It was all right. <laughs> If I remember right, I mean, I remember the part where doesn't doesn't Reed grab like toilet paper with his powers? Um, that indeed does happen. It's it, it, it's comic book movies before comic book movies really found their footing. It, it was my favorite. Um, yeah, I was disappointed. I had high hopes for Fantastic Four, and just the movies don't reflect how good the uh, comic books are for Fantastic Four. Popcorn Ben. I have never read a Fantastic Four comic, uh, so I can't speak to how this uh, stacks up to the to the books. Um, but I thought this movie was acceptable, if a little schlocky. You know, it, it's it's fine. It's it's kind of campy, but so are the Fantastic Four. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, I think this succeeded in a lot of ways that the Silver Surfer didn't, and I don't think it's even. It's even fair to compare it to the most recent, but it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Fantastic Four, man. You know, how? what's it take to make a good media project out of that group? What's it going to take? Because we've got this movie came out in 2005. You know, Fox owns it, so they're not doing really the best with their superhero projects at all, except they've been killing it with X-Men. Uh, typically, uh, outside of a couple hiccups. But Fantastic Four, the first attempt with Tim Story's vision, is you see a lot of that. It tries really, really hard to capture the actual essence of the team. A little bit too much. A little bit too much. It doesn't really recognize that it isn't a comic book and that it is indeed a movie. Sometimes... That's why a lot of the script can get a little wonky, a little cheesy, a little little schlocky, as was said before. There's a lot of very comic booky dialogue. Yeah. And not in a good way. Yeah, the relationships are not very real. 
But if you're a fan of the Fantastic Four, you go, okay, I see what they were trying to do. It doesn't translate very well, but it's still like they didn't kill the franchise. I mean, they made enough money to make a second movie, which killed the franchise again uh, until they decided to just bury it deeper into the ground later. Because, again, like you can, you can compare anything to that 2015 Fantastic Four movie, and you're probably going to end up with that movie that you compared it to being offended. Um, except for the spirit. Except for the spirit. Uh, <laughs> among other shit films we've had to talk about. But Fantastic Four is, it's its really like a 5 out of 10. It's like a perfect 5 out of 10 of of, of, a, of a movie. And, you know, there's a, there was effort put into it. You see there's a lot of charm. Um, just some things weren't clicking and it didn't look like they gave themselves enough time to deal with it. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to think about like what the vision, what the, what the purpose of the movie was, was, was it to create a really grounded version of Fantastic Four? Cause it didn't achieve that. Was it a money grabber? Cause it kind of achieved that. So like, what was the ultimate goal of the project? Uh, besides bottom line, got to make money. So speaking of money. Let's move on over to the money stats of Fantastic Four 2005, starting with a production budget of $100 million. Where did that get us? Uh, domestic gross was $154 million, with a foreign gross of $175 million, bringing it to a worldwide gross of 330 So it made its money and then some, and it was enough to warrant a shitty sequel. <laughs> A, a a supplementary sequel. I don't think. I guess it was a little shitty, wasn't it? It didn't really. It didn't. Yeah, yeah. It didn't really. It didn't make it a whole lot worse. It kind of felt like more of the same. I feel like this is a whole lot better than Silver Surfer. Surfer. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah like like this movie had like some heart, and um, Jessica Alba wasn't a hundred percent awful. Oh yeah, I suppose. You know, like, like Alba was the kicker. I I cared about the characters, and you know, the, eh, it was, was fine. It had it had some heart that the Silver Surfer and the new one just don't. So that means this has got to be. Frick, we didn't look up stats, but I'm guessing the second most profitable of the four total Fantastic Four movies. Five, if you count the Incredibles. <laughs> so then it would be the least it would not that's got to be the most profitable i'm assuming I, I forget we did stats on the sequel and i don't remember i'm pretty sure it made more money overall because it's a sequel i mean come on uh but we all know that fantastic four 2015 was a tank and the 1994 version didn't even get released uh which was by far the most comic booky version of them all but also like by far the best <laughs> actually it was. You, you can so make weird. the argument that it is the best. <laughs> At such a weird point that that is still relevant. Uh, that is the 1994 piece of shit might be the best Fantastic Four movie project ever made. All right, so let's go. Let's take a time machine. Let's talk about some characters. All right, these characters are old as dirt. They're 50, 60 years old. Like this, this team was the big reason of why Marvel Comics became a superhero book industry. Uh, there's the famous story of Stan Lee saying that before he was going, he was about to quit Marvel Comics. He had had enough of it. He was 30-some years old. He didn't like how his career had turned out over there. And he's like, but I've got this one idea for a superhero team, but I'm not. I don't, the publisher's not going to like it. So I'm not going to even put it up. And his and his wife told him, hey, if you're going to quit anyway, just publish that comic book, you know, get it approved, sneak it by him. Because if it's a bomb, who cares? You were going to quit. So he publishes it and hot damn, Stanley and Jack Kirby skyrocket into this new age of creativity. This was the this was the launching board for Daredevil, Spider-Man, most of the X-Men. Uh, just almost anything that involves Stanley and Jack Kirby, which was like everything at the time. So this movie is based on Fantastic Four number one, released in 1961. 
Writing by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby. Uh, and it's mostly based on three pages in that book where it tells the origin story of how Reed Richards is kind of a dick and insists on going into space right now so the Ruskies don't have a chance to get there first. Yo, uh, let's add Ruskies to the list of racial slurs we're not going to use on this podcast anymore. <laughs> okay. I think they've gotten past that one, though. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, like like how Cracker affects us. Uh, Does it affect us? That's what I mean. Oh, okay. I, I see. I see. Ben is wor- – uh, so, so uh, Ben Grimm is worried the, plan- the plane isn't shielded uh, enough for cosmic rays. But Sue calls him a coward, and then he's like, damn it, I'm going to fly that plane. So they sneak into the government base after hours. Sue tags along because of her loyalty to her husband, wherever you go, I go, Reed. And then her kid brother, Johnny Storm, does the same. And is like, I go wherever you go, sis. And then they get hit by cosmic rays, yada, yada, yada. Fantastic Four. It's explained later that the government was going to cut funding for their big project, but it's still kind of a dumb reason to sneak your family and friends onto a military base and do an experimental space launch. Still a better reason than the justification for 2015 Fantastic Four. Which is something they didn't even bother with, it seemed. (laughs) It's basically the same thing, so I guess it was truer to the comic book. I said we were going to think about it, but yeah. I know. Uh, so let's talk about some characters that premiered in this, starting with Willie Lumpkin, the Fantastic Four mailman. Believe it or not, he starred, he starred in his own comic strip in 1960 by Stan Lee and Dan DiCarlo, big name in the golden age. He, uh, he was just a young little mailman who just went across the country in this single-panel strip, and then he was integrated into Marvel in Fantastic Four number 11, drawn by Jack Kirby at that point. He insisted, half-jokingly, that he should be a member of the Fantastic Four because of his power to wiggle his ears. And then, of course, Stan Lee got to play that character in the movie. Probably his most lines? No, he had more lines than Spider-Man 3. It's always fun to see that, that Stan Lee cameo. It's always fun to see a Stan Lee cameo, in it, isn't it? When's it not fun to see a Stan Lee cameo? That's what I thought. The, the, right. the, the one during Silver Surfer, because that whole movie was. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the 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 Fantastic Four here, starting with Human Torch, the hothead of the team, lover of fast cars and easy women, because he's a teenager. Uh, he's just a high school kid who got superpowers. I mean, when I was in high school, I would love to have superpowers. I mean, I would love them now, but more when I was in high school. Uh, He was raised by his older sister, Sue, and not really his parents because his mother died in a car accident when he was very young, and his father, Franklin, uh, was put in jail shortly after for murdering a loan shark. So Sue pretty much raised him since the time he could walk. Human Torch, I mean, I did this whole spiel in our episode on Fantastic Four 2015 where I explain the heart and core of every character. So um, there might be a little bit of overlap in my explanations of just like Johnny being the kid but the one with the courage to step up. Um, there's a couple There's a couple famous moments that have happened to him recently. The big one is that he died in a famous comic book called Three, which that's an awesome name for a comic book that involves the death of one of the Fantastic Four members. Uh, and he saves the FF from a horde of insects in the negative zone. In his will, it's interesting, he requested Spider-Man replace him uh, because they're buds, and Spider-Man totally did for a spin. <laughs> Thank you for that interjection. That was a pun. We'll play <laughs> on words. I didn't even try. All right, so the next character, we have The Thing. And I like The Thing's publication history here. Uh, His background is actually modeled after Jack Kirby's life experiences. Benjamin Jacob Grimm was born into a Jewish family on Yancey Street. He idolized his older brother, who died in a gang fight. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar. Jack Kirby was born on Delancey Street had a father named Benjamin, 
and a brother who died when he was young, and Jack Kirby's real name is actually Jacob when he was given to him at birth. Is Stanley Jewish? Uh, his real name is Stanley Lieber, so take a guess. Because Jacob and Benjamin are, are old Hebrew names, and that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Jack, why I ask. Jack Kirby is Jewish. His real name was like Jack Kerbowski or something like that. It's a very Polish name, I think. <laughs> so the ever-loving blue-eyed thing is a man with a heart of gold making the best out of a truly terrible situation. The same guy who won't hesitate to try and take on the Hulk spent a fortune building the Grim Youth Center to keep kids off the streets because his brother died in a gang fight. Ben's had a tough life, but that doesn't stop him from making other people's better. I mean, uh, also many different spins have been taken on the whole transformation into the thing thing. One time, an encounter with the Grey Gargoyle allowed him to transform back into Ben or like get control of the transformation, but doing so created versions of him to appear in alternate timelines and cause all this kinds of trouble, so we stopped doing that. Uh, it turns out he's actually nearly immortal in this Rocky form because he doesn't age, and he's kind of impervious to everything. But he's also ugly, which is a shame. Moving on, we have the Invisible Woman. Biggest growth and development of almost any character in comic book history. I mean, the she started out as the weak damsel and distressed character with the power to only turn invisible. That was it. Her powers were strictly defensive. After an issue of the Fantastic Four, where they're reading real fan mail, Stanley decides to give Sue the ability to use force fields in issue 22. But it wasn't until John Byrne took over for the comic book that we see Sue really come into her own as one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. And not just on like a superpower level either, which she definitely racks way up there because she can put force fields in your brain and your esophagus. Sue Storm is the ultimate mother figure. She takes care of Johnny after their parents can't because one is dead and one's in jail. She takes care of the team Fantastic Four when all really they do is bicker at each other and get into fights. She's the glue that keeps them together. And she manages to stand next to Reed when he does some truly stupid things, which I'll explain a little bit later, and raises not one, but two superpowered children, one of which becomes a reality-altering god, pretty much. Actually. Not pretty much, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's the fact that he's a kid and can't really comprehend his powers is the only thing that ever keeps him in check. Susan Storm should be your role model. If you have a little girl, she wants to read some comic books, anything post, like, Fantastic Four number 80, I think you're good to go. I don't know exactly when John Byrne takes over, but anything that didn't involve Stan Lee writing the dialogue of Sue Storm, where she was just like, you know, I belong in the kitchen. I think that's literally a line somewhere. Or Reed says, a wife's lips aren't good for talking, but they are sure good for kissing. Hmm. <laughs> that applies to Jessica Alba. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, this from the married man. Uh, I out what I say. <laughs> Jessica Alba, I do not think, uh, gave a very good performance in Silver Surfer. Um... Yes. I don't think that's a controversial opinion at all. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she, she, I think she tries her best, but I don't think she really knew who this character was. Her, uh, her best is not great. Oh. I'm not a professional actress, so I can't really compare. But compared to other professional actresses, I can form a somewhat of an opinion. Uh, and, yeah, it wasn't the best. <laughs> So moving on to another, the final member of the Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards. Attending college at 14, he graduated from five different universities by the time he was 20. Reed can be seen as a cold and distant character due to his logical and scientific thinking. 
the degrees of this behavior are limited only by the writer. So while it's not, it hasn't really been determined that it's out of character for him, when he totally turned off his child's brain by putting him in an induced coma. Well, granted, his child's brain was created making his imagination a reality. That's still a stone cold thing so, to some, do. I mean, sometimes it's it's what you got to do, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I suppose it was like a, it's like a five year old kid, and you're just like, you know what? You got to go into a coma. Sure. And you got to be, and the dad has to be the one to do it. Well, yeah. Uh, and you know, and it's gone so far as to an extreme too. In the Ultimate Marvel Universe, Reed is an ex- insane megalomaniac. Like he's tried to conquer the world several times. Although in some of the um, other books, he's like the most kind-hearted member of the group. It depends on who's who's writing the story. Uh, an example of his kind-heartedness I like to bring up is in an episode of Fantastic Four: Earth's Greatest Hero, the cartoon. Uh, it had him body swap with Dr. Doom, and the team didn't figure it out that they were in different bodies until Reed, a.k.a. Doom, canceled all of his lectures for the week. They're like, whoa, 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 you're not yourself. You're totally not you. Because Reed, his, no matter what you say about his attitude, his genius has saved the world, universe, and even reality itself multiple times, and he's a firm supporter of influencing youngsters to get interested in science. There's nothing more important to him. He's like Bill Nye. Yeah. Super smart, but a little bit... I don't know if I've ever... I've never interacted with Bill Nye, but is he not really a family man? (laughs) Oh, uh, he wears a lot of bow ties. He hosted a show on PBS in the late 90s. Mid to late 90s. his his, 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 His ideals are the same. Um... The struggle with Reed is determining how much of his obsession with science can he succumb to without pushing away the ones he loves and who give him strength. Um, It's actually been confirmed that not too long ago, he is indeed on the autism spectrum. So he might be one of the most famous autistic comic book characters. Are there – are there – I can't think of any others, so yeah. (laughs) The only – um, there's a few out there, I'm sure. I haven't looked into it. The final character to discuss who premiered in this movie, Doctor Doom, premiered in Fantastic Four number five in 1962. His origin didn't come about until two years later, though. So his early stories are just sort of like he's a crazy guy, and then he becomes and develops into like the greatest villain in the Marvel universe, debatably. He's a scientific genius, rivaled only by Reed Richards, with sorcery knowledge to supplement what he doesn't know. Uh, Dr. Doom is a perfectionist. The reason he wears his metal mask to, to conceal his face is because there is one scar across his cheek. That's it. And he's like, no, it's not perfect. I'm ugly. I must have this perfect, clean metal face instead. He wants the world to be like him, which, depending on the day, can be a perfect utopia, like his ideals, or ugly and twisted, like his psyche. He's not a stable person. While scientifically and magically he's only rivaled by Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Strange, his pride has no competition. And his inability to accept he may be wrong about something is the number one downfall in almost all of his schemes. That being said, calling Dr. Doom's schemes grandeur, grandiose, is an understatement. He once stole the power away from all of Galactus's world ship, or he nabbed the Odin Spear, which has nearly omnipotent power. He has complete diplomatic immunity since he is the sole ruler of Latveria and can set the laws for Latveria that are recognized by his country so that the law can't touch him in the United States. Truly one of the greatest supervillains of all time. His presence elevates any plot because never is Doom a simple side character. He's a cool dude. He is he is Stanley's favorite villain. He has said that multiple times. He's like 
he's the perfect... Uh, he describes him as uh, an avatar of death because instead of having a skeleton, he's got like this metal framey figure. Um, and that's how he wanted him to be drawn by Kirby. But that is all I have for comic books. And you know what? That made my headache go away. So Yay! I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling Did energized. Did make my thumb grow back? Your thumb grow back? You lost a thumb? I lost oh. part of it. Oh, oh my god! Didn't I tell you about this last time we recorded? No! Holy cow! Oh yeah, I got five stitches. Right there. You can't see it because it's covered up. No, but what'd you do? I cut my thumb. With what? A knife. Oh, you were just cooking? I, yeah. Okay. I thought it was going to be something cool, like... No, I was, I was like cubing some, up some beef for a kebab. Like you were standing next to a train track or something, and a train came by, and a piece of shrapnel flew Why by. Why would I... How would I cook near a train station? I'm not talking about it cooking. It would have been oh. way cooler if you did. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be just like the person who just like stands on a platform and makes kebabs. <laughs> that should be like the next... Uh, oh, wait, people actually YouTube. do that, like food trucks. Yeah. Oh, I, I see a, a future career for me. I'm thinking that's like the next big thing on YouTube is just like trying to cook a meal, like have a cooking show while a train is going by behind you. <laughs> Yeah, that would not be fun to watch. I think it would. Uh, we'll see. All right, so let's move on to the music section. In case you had not noticed, Skylar could not be with us today. Um, Rest in peace. Yeah, we're... Kind of was acting up. Yeah, he's having some technical difficulties, and he was not in the mood to solve them. Uh, <laughs> we get like that sometimes. Or, you know, we it get happens. tired. Yeah, we're getting... It's it's crunch time. It's hard to keep things consistent, you know. I don't... Ben, you weren't with us last time for Jessica Jones. I, yeah, I, I had too much too much on my plate at once, and Jessica Jones had to not be watched, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Skyler, uh, he's not here today. That's unfortunate. He, he's fighting with his ISP. Yeah. This is the first something. time I think he's never been on a show, though. Which is the, yeah. the, ex, the extra tragic part. Yeah, rest so, in peace. So Twitter Tom uh, and and Ben, <laughs> you're both going to sort of headline this music section. Sounds good. You want to go first, Ben, or you want me to? Uh, yeah, um, I guess the the uh, composer for uh, Fantastic Four 2005 was uh, John Ottman, who we've uh, talked about on the show before, I believe, because uh, he also... Um, the, the main scores that he's uh, well-known for are uh, X-Men Days of Future Past and Superman Returns. But not Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. No. Okay. Um, we Let's see. Let's try and remember what his scores sounded like. Or we'll just play a clip right now. We'll play the theme to this entire movie. Here is Fantastic Four theme 2005. Fantastic Four theme with uh, you know some some horns. Did that sound to me? That sounded a lot like uh, X Men 3's theme. Uh, I forget what that one sounds like. You both need to not talk at the same time. Shit, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't have anything to say. I was gonna say, uh, Hotman. A, a lot of his scores for me sound pretty interchangeable, especially when it comes to X Men and that. Um, I did fact check, though. He did do Silver Surfer score as well. Oh, well, there we go. Oh. Where, and, where, where are your stats, dummy? And X-Men 2, apparently. Oh, well, look at all this. So there you go. <laughs> um, you know, it's... it's <laughs> it feels like one of those uh, just straight-up classic brass, brass, kick it there's, up. There's some good fanfares in there. Yeah, it's fanfare-y. Yeah, there's not, there's no real subtlety to the music, which is fine. It gets the damn job done, but it doesn't really elevate the sound at all. So let's kick it out to 
Skyler's other clip he had prepped for us today in a little track called Battling Doom. Cue it up, me. that that was Ottman's attempt at like an imperial march it sounded like Danny Elfman to me <laughs> it, it kind of sounded like Christopher Young to me um, like the very Elfman as well uh, the like the Spider-Man 3 soundtrack you know that 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 choral but like bum bada bum ba. I suppose that is very Elfman-esque though yeah like the the, 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 the choir is mm-hmm. for me I associate that with Danny Elfman but but I liked it. I won't lie. Uh, that was the the thing. The thing is, it didn't feel like doom, but it certainly felt ominous. You know, you you got the mood that you needed to achieve. Um, but with 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 doom is such a big character is the thing. He's that's the that's the problem with Fantastic Four is a lot of the big scary Marvel characters come from that comic book, and um, the music's got to reflect how terrifying these enemies really need to be, because um, because Doom is gonna not only is he gonna subdue you, he's going to murder your loved ones without a thought because they don't matter to him as long as they aren't in, in his way or whatever important to his grand ultimate goal and then he's going to rule everything you love because uh, that's just his way he's going to be the man in charge and the, the scary part about him is he might be the right guy for the job when he's in a good mood when he's in a good mood <laughs> so that's going to do it for music today uh, thank you Skyward yay for your selections. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Michael. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there needs to be more Andre the Giant in there. Andre, oh, you're welcome, Michael. <laughs> you think Skyler sounds like Andre the Giant? No, he sounds more like Andre the Giant than my impression of him just then. Oh, okay. Well, uh, speaking of you, uh, let's <laughs> talk about... <laughs> Science. You blinded me with it. <laughs> I love that song. Um, <laughs> so let's hit the hot points right away. Speaking um, of hot points, the super cooling of hot metal, aka yes. the final big plot device of how they were going to defeat Doom in the end. Superheat him with some supernova level temperatures. And then bust open a fire hydrant and spray him with all that cold water. Okay, one. Supernova level temperatures are hotter than anything else in the universe. So you would liquefy the entire solar system if you actually had a supernova. Um, well, it was it was he was like we're reaching supernova. I don't think they ever actually yeah, got there. Even so, if you're getting close to a supernova, you're already hot enough to vaporize the entire solar system. Okay. But Sue contained it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fine. Thank God. <laughs> um, but that just means that, you know, Dr. Doom would have been vaporized. And then, you know, all that radiation would have to go somewhere. And it would go straight up and then interact with our atmosphere and then rain death on everybody. Heat? That all that. a better ending than what we got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, but anyway, the, the the point is they heat up Doctor Doom, and he's wearing like that metal suit or whatever. 
uh, and then they cool them down real fast, and that is actually a real thing that you do when you're metal working, if you're making a sword or something, is you get your, your metal nice and hot, and then you cool it down um, very quickly. And you do this to either you know, create a certain crystal structure or to, pre to pre prevent a crystal structure. I think it's to prevent a crystal structure from forming. And what that does is it makes your piece of metal um, harder and stronger. Isn't that called tempering steel? Uh, it's called quenching. Oh, never yeah. mind. Tempering, I think, is something related but different. Um, okay. So it makes your metal stronger, basically. Um, so they, they shouldn't have done that, because now Dr. Doom is like even more impervious to getting punched by Ben Grimm than usual. Oh, it doesn't make it really, really cold or Im immobile? No, unfortunately. Well, um, wouldn't, wouldn't it have melted all the hinges in his suit? And then he would... Well, yeah, I, suppo I suppose, yeah. It, it would have melt... Like, if you can melt the hinges and then cool it down real fast, it'll be it'll be real, real solid. Yeah, that would just be kind of makes sense. <laughs> what they should have they really done is, is, like I said earlier, just liquefied him, melted him to a puddle. <laughs> That wouldn't have been good for the kids. No, no. So let's move on to the next topic, uh, yep. because we've already talked about uh, pyrokinesis in a previous episode. Mm -hmm. um, if you remember which one, please tell me. <laughs> Probably in X-Men. Oh, X-Men 3. Oh, um, yeah. With pyro. Um, we've talked about rubber stretchiness in yep. an episode that shall not be named. <laughs> Uh, and there's nothing really to talk about with the thing. He's got Rock's body. I suppose we could talk about that a little bit, but there, let's go to the... There's the rockfish. Oh, yeah. Which is a fish that looks like a rock, and it's very venomous. You oh. step on it, you die. Is it is it hard like a rock? No, it's kind of fleshy. It just looks like one. Okay. Uh, so let, let's go on to the one topic. I'm surprised we have not hit on this. Are you sure we haven't talked about this? I'm pretty sure. Invisibility. Invisibility. It's been a dream that we're gonna have, you know, invisibility cloaks, and we can just throw on a throw on a suit and be invisible. Uh, unfortunately, it's very difficult to do that. Um, but you know, material scientists are working all the time um, on, you know, building these things. And uh, very recently, uh, hold on, let me let me look up the article I found and, and give you a date on that. September 18, 2015, um, a, a group of material scientists developed an ultra-thin invisibility skin cloak for visible light. So basically what it does is a material that, um, it's, called, it's called a metamaterial, which means it reflects light differently depending on the angle the light enters it. And uh, basically they, they in, invented a material that they made into like a thin sheet that they wrap around an object and then it you can see see through it and it's the first like design for a, something that could be scaled up to hide large objects yeah but is it is it invisibility in the way that we see it sort of cheesily done in the movie where like the light no. sort of bends around it like a big mirror yeah actually actually it, it actually bends the light around this object okay but but is it like okay Let's see here. Uh, if I were standing in front of, like, a fire hydrant or something, mm -hmm. and I put on this cloak, would you see the fire hydrant behind me? Ooh. Ooh. Yes. That's a good question. So that's, like, the, the ultimate level of invisibility. How much I'm, light I'm, is it bending? I'm reading the abstract, and it seems to be that that's how it would actually work. Wow. Yeah. Invisibility is a real thing, gang. Give it another 15 years. Well, it only works at one one wavelength at 730 nanometers, so it, it renders invisible one wavelength of light. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, one color. Oh, wait, like just like green? That's just it? Like, just like one particular shade of green. <laughs> so if you stand partic in that particular shade of green, you are invisible. Yes, but the idea is that you can you can adapt this material to cover, you know, more of the visible spectrum and and make things actually invisible instead of just that one wavelength. Okay, I dig it. I dig it. 
Yeah. Um, so, so the the point of this this paper that they wrote is that they have um, they have a material that blocks one wavelength, and it's very, you know, it's extremely thin, and so potentially they could scale it up to hide large objects, like a coffee cup or a person. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, and it's, it's the first time that they've seri been able to seriously consider scaling it up. Okay. Um, we're not going to talk about force fields today. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Mostly because I don't think you're prepped, and there's going to be more opportunities. Definitely not prepped for force fields. Okay, and I feel as if there's, that's an interesting topic on its own. But let's move on to Doom's powers in the movie, because in the comic book, Doom does not have superpowers. That is, like, there's nothing... Um, it's weird. It's like, what do you consider a superpower? Because he's an ultimate genius, but, like, he earned that. Yeah. And also, he has a, has a mild mastery of sorcery, so he can use magic, but it's not technically a superpower. He studied it, learned it, um, because magic is very real in the Marvel Universe. But in the movie, they're just like... His, he can shoot lightning. He can shoot lightning, and he's got, like, metal skin underneath. Yeah. So let's talk about human conduction, then. Yep. Um, and a human's ability to actually shoot lightning. Yeah. Where, where, okay, so you need, um, to, to shoot lightning, you need to create a, a electrostatic, you know, potential difference between you and whatever you're shooting lightning at. And the question is, if lightning is going from you to that thing, how are you changing the number and distribution of electrons in that thing so that you actually shoot lightning at it? The answer is magic. <laughs> it's always magic. Yeah, I don't have too much to say on this one. But, Humans but, can't shoot lightning, otherwise we would do it all the time. But but when we can... I scuff my feet on the carpet and I shoot lightning out, that's magic? Yeah. That yeah. Okay. Good. We can conduct static electricity. Right. Oh, my wife, I'm a sorcerer now. Yeah, you, you can. <laughs> you absolutely can. Um, so wait, we don't know how static electricity works? Oh, we. <laughs> I, I guess I was misunderstanding the question. Because <laughs> basically, can you upscale static electricity similar as Tom was describing, rubbing your feet on the carpet so that you can actually like shock something to a deadly amount? Yes, but it would be deadly to you as well. I suppose we don't have any resistance. You always feel a shock. Right. You like it, To be able to shoot lightning at something, then there's going to have to be electrostatic forces in you that are just going to you know, break down internally. Worth it. Definitely worth it. <laughs> like you, can, you can only charge up an object, like static electricity charge up an object so much before it can't hold anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know. well, well, hold on. I should have told you about this earlier, but there was like an episode of Stan Lee's Superhumans, one of the first episodes, where they had a guy who was like holding a freaking battery at the open end, so all the power was going into his body, and he was holding a light bulb in his other hand, and it was just, you know, he was just charging the light bulb, and he wasn't getting hurt at all. Yeah, there's ways to do that because the human body does con like it is a conductor. We talked about that on Iron Man three. No, the the very first episode I was on, we talked about that. Oh yeah, that is Iron Man three. Yeah, where I was like, you know, humans conduct electricity, so you got all these volts going going through you. Okay. There you go. You're gonna die. But he just he he was on the show because he could do it to like a superhuman amount. Like he was charging up like a a griddle that they were frying pancakes on, and it's like that's a lot of electricity going yeah. into your body. Yeah, you just gotta keep it away from vital organs. Huh? He wow. I suppose you can totally just channel electricity. Oh, there's, and there's also a difference. How. There's also a difference between a high voltage current and a high amperage current. Amperage is what kill you. That's the actual amount of current flowing through you. Mm -hmm. High voltage is the amount of it has. It, it's it's more subtle than this, but you can have a high amp current and that will kill you. You can have a high voltage current that won't. Look it up, kids. And <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and there's some there's some equations I can't quite remember because it's been like five years since I uh, took electromagnetism, but um, basically you can get power enough power to power like a griddle from either of those if your voltage is high enough. All right, then. Let's move on to you your can, final topic. Yeah, if you have a high voltage, you can keep the, the current low, and then there you go. Uh, final topic. This was something that um, they mentioned in, like, the first scene of the movie where they're like, uh, an electromagnetic radiation storm is coming for Earth, and it was the same kind of thing that created life. So this is a great opportunity for science. <laughs> yep, that one right? throwaway line. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to talk about that. Um the the origin of life on Earth is usually called abiogenesis, um, or abiogenesis, bio, life, genesis, beginning. There you go. But basically, um, the idea that life could have been propagated by, you know, radiation coming in from the from the outside the Earth's atmosphere and striking a bunch of molecules and you know catalyzing these biochemical reactions that led to life is something that is generally accepted as true. The, in I forget when, uh, but there was a series of experiments uh, called the Miller-Urey experiments where they took um, a cloud of gas that was, you know, similar to how Earth's atmosphere was, you know, three billion years ago or whenever life um, began on Earth, and they just had a, had a beaker full of this gas and they zapped it with lightning and just let it sit. And after a little bit of time, they discovered um, amino acids, which are a type of protein. They're the building blocks of RNA, which gives us DNA and, and life as we know it. So, so the idea of some kind of radiation striking a group of organic molecules in just the right way to kickstart um, the chemical reactions that we now call life, there you, yes, they got that right. Oh, good. And yeah. they, also, they got cosmic rays a little weird, but you know, well, I mean, overall-ish. Overall you can't, you can't, you can't win them all. <laughs> it was. What did we know about cosmic rays in the '60s? Uh, enough. Yeah, Stanley should have yeah. known. <laughs> he, he just likes to make shit up. All right, Tom. All right. How you doing? Um, I'm doing good. How have you guys been? You look like you're you're dozing, man. Nope. Nope, I'm just super stoned. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty tired. I'm not going to lie. Oh, we're yeah. all tired, but we do it's this 11, for the fans. It's 11 o'clock here. <clears throat> so, okay, well, Chris Evans, we all know who's Captain America now. Um, he improvised most of his dialogue as Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah. Uh, By the way, we're in fun facts now, in case you guys couldn't pick it up. Oh, yeah. Fun facts. <laughs> fun facts. Um... Hugh Jackman was offered the role of Reed Richards, and that shows you how dumb Fox is because they were going to have Wolverine as Wolverine and the same guy be Reed Richards. Um, so I'm glad that fell through. Uh, that would have been really silly. Yeah. Paul Walker was going to be um, – or he was considered for the part of Johnny Storm – which is good because we don't need Johnny Storm just blank staring and smiling. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to take that a whole different direction. Um, uh, I'm glad no. you didn't. Too soon, too soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Chiklis uh, wore 60 pounds of latex for his thing outfit, and it took him three hours to get into. Three hours seems like a speedy time for the amount of crap that he was put on him. Right, and I can't remember the movie. Does it? Is it just the top half that they show? Like, does he wear pants and like like jeans or? He, mean, wears, just the top he wears half Fantastic then? Four underoos, uh, oh. pants. You know, um, <laughs> but like you're right. A lot of it's a lot of mid level shots. Right, um, and he wore prosthetic teeth for it too. And to get uh to get prepared for using those big ass teeth in his mouth, he would read children's stories in between um, his scenes. So, um, Like just now, to loosen they, up his mouth? Well, just, uh, just to get used to talking with those prosthetics oh. and understand them. Okay. Oh, he read them out loud. 
Yeah, I thought he was <laughs> reading them outside of the suit. We both read into that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he put the prosthetics in and then silently read to himself to get ready to speak out loud. <laughs> uh, um, the I can't. I, I don't know how to pronounce uh, the guy who played Reed Richards. Uh, Iowan. Yeah, Iowan or Johan. Um, <laughs> I guess he was he was so pumped um, to show his mo- his mom and dad that he was working on this major Hollywood blockbuster. So he flew him in from um, I think it was Wales, and the day they went to to visit him on set, the whole day he was filming an elevator scene. So <laughs> that was a. I mean, I, I, I assume he was hoping they were just going to see this big action piece, and it's just him in an elevator. Got to plan that stuff out, Iowan. Yeah, Iowan. I mean, his parents named him Iowan, so. <laughs> you know what? That's their fault at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stan Lee said uh, Michael Chiklis' uh, portrayal of The Thing is his favorite performance in any Marvel film ever. I believe that. Michael Chiklis put so much heart into that performance. Um yeah, he, he he was good. When I when I when I rewatched the um the movie today uh with director commentary or not director commentary, actor commentary, it was Chiklis, Grufford, and Alba. And uh, like Grufford and Alba never read a comic book, which is fine. You don't need to read a comic book to act. Uh but Chicklis is like a diehard comic books fan. Like he loves this stuff, and he sounded like 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 a proud parent throughout most of the film um, when he was just talking about it. Like you know, I did this a lot for the kids, and 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 this is what my kids wanted to see. It was just some of these great action moments and just uh, some good good family fun lessons and. <laughs> He the way he describes a lot of his scenes is actually really heartwarming. Yeah, and he was a big fan of the uh, thing in the comic books too. Um, so I mean, so yeah, good for him that he got it and he actually you know put his heart and soul into it. Um, what else I got is uh, it, it was the script was developed over ten years, uh, so apparently it had trouble since the beginning. Um, but th- this one, I mean, it's, it's not really a fun fact, but it just cracks me up, is that they hired Tim Story after they saw his work on Barbershop and Barbershop 2 back in business. So the Fox execs are like, man, that guy who did Barbershop, he would be great for, for, for a Fantastic Four. That would just be great. Let's get him on there. It's an all-time classic. <laughs> Those were great films. Let's not deny them that. Ice Cube was a treasure. Yeah. I mean, Citizen Kane, move over. <laughs> we got Barbershop. And Grandma's Boy, move over. And and then and then it spun off Queen Latifah's Beauty Shop. I mean, just great cinema there. Um, and it really shows in Fantastic Four. And uh, did he do the sequel too? Silver. He Silver? did indeed. Yeah, see that guy's just shit. So, oh, we we he, we've chalked it up, Tom. It's average. Well, <laughs> Silver Surfer was shit. No, <laughs> it was it was bad. It, well, okay. You're allowed to have your opinion, but we're going to impose you to that's a good thing. You're, you're allowed to have your opinion, Tom, but you're wrong, and I hate you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Look, you're the new Skyler. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Feels as if that always happens when we have three people on the show. Yeah, two two end up ganging up on the third. It's it's yeah, it's it's like a it's like a sociological law. It really well, it's is. My feelings. They'll they'll heal. They'll heal. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's all I got for fun facts. Uh, not much on it, but but yeah. Ben, what was your fun fact? Oh, fun fact that uh. The snowboarding scene really reminded me in a really big way of 1080 Avalanche to the Nintendo GameCube. Just because of like, the music that's playing and the fact that they're snowboarding. <laughs> and the fact that you know, it kind of looks like he was chasing down an avalanche. Yeah, I, I honestly like could not tell the difference between watching a replay from 20, 1080 Avalanche and that actual scene. Yeah, because GameCube graphics were pristine. <laughs> and the special effects in this game were not. 
<laughs> in this they were okay. Movie. They were okay. But I, I was like, I suddenly got very nostalgic for the early to mid 2000s, mm. I guess. Okay, so let's move on to our final section of the night. Drinking game rules. Yay! I'll be honest, I didn't prep any, so... Well, I got, I got a few. You can steal them if you I'll want. St- I'll steal a couple, maybe. Maybe. All right. But you you do a couple that you want first. All right. Uh, whenever a song about fire or that mentions fire plays while Johnny Blaze does something. <laughs> I love how you always call him Johnny Blaze. Is, is his name not Johnny Blaze? <laughs> Johnny Blaze is Ghost Rider. Oh. Johnny Storm, Storm is the Human Torch. Oh, and then Sue Storm is... His sister. Who's not Storm from the X-Men. See, it's all so confusing in my head. <laughs> oh, I obviously thought his name was Johnny Blaze. What's his real name? Johnny John Storm. Storm. Okay, well, uh, whenever, whenever a song about fire plays when, when the Human Torch does something, uh, take, a, take a little sip of Fireball. Ooh, you have plenty of Fireball. D- uh, whenever you see a general... Horish product placement. Uh, Samsung during the dirt bike team. For every example. every single shot in the dirt bike dirt bike scene has some kind of brand <laughs> in it. Well, there was even um, when when Johnny just shows up. It, no, wait, that's in the second movie. He shows up decked out in ad gear. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. They got worse in the second one with their product placement. Uh, in in the what, what was the car company for this one? Did anybody pay attention? Oh, I don't remember. There was all those cars on the bridge. Yeah, I don't know. I just remember like during the dirt bike scene, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> there's Mountain Dew. There's Burger King. There's Doritos. There's ESPN. You they just know. they just threw them all under. There's right Adidas. That was like okay. It was like they were like okay, we got all these contracts with different people that we have to like. Put a put their logo in the movie somewhere. Um, here, put them all on that wall. That one scene, that'll do it. That's actually really smart, to be honest. Yeah. Tom, do you got any rules? Um, we uh, every time that you're, you're you're supposed to laugh and you groan instead, take a sip of your beer. <laughs> okay. Uh. The basically all the Fantastic Four domestic montages. It's like, they're living, and Reed opens the door and sees Sue naked, and she turns invisible. <gasps> oh, no. And Next only, week on Friends. The only actual funny moment when, when Johnny manages to get the thing to slap himself with whipped cream. <laughs> Shaving cream. That was a good one. <laughs> that was Cause, good. Because it's like, is he even good. ticklish? <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, I say, anytime uh, you hear a catchphrase... Got to take that shot. Mm. Catchphrases include "It's clever in time," "Flame on," um, "Go invisible, go." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or no, whenever uh, Doctor Doom says the word "Doom." Yeah. Um, like you know, not as like saying "I'm Victor Von Doom," but like actually uses the the word. The word, not Doom. as a proper noun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm sure he's using it as a proper noun, but he's being a dick about it. Probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's that? Oh, you forgot the fun fact, Tom, that uh, both Michael Chiklis and Julian McMahone were FX TV stars. Uh, Michael Chiklis being on The Shield and Julian McMahone being on Nip Tuck. That's kind of what landed them the gigs. Oh, I'm fired. <laughs> that is a fun fact. Take a drink. <laughs> Uh, take a drink every time there's a really obvious lip sync error. Well, I don't. I, didn't, I, I wasn't watching it really. I was listening there, to it. There's a couple really bad ones. Sue <laughs> Storm will be like, uh, like, no, Johnny, don't. And then her mouth just won't move. <laughs> um, well, you know that whole scene where uh, Reed and Sue are talking to each other on the pier, not on the boat where he proposes, but on the pier, um, they're actually not even in the same location. Uh, Iowan recorded that what? in Canada, and um, Jessica, Miss Alba, recorded that 
in the studio in Hollywood. So what they did is they sort of they had the backs of their head stand-ins. So there's never a shot of them facing each other like both of their faces. You only ever see the back of their head. Huh. So you you drink for that whole scene because you you're you're talking and someone's listening to a stupid factoid about it. So everybody else has to drink while you explain that. Uh, I, I'll also add there's at least two Wilhelm screens, screams. Oh, yeah, there definitely is. <laughs> there's at least two, so drink for those. <laughs> it's the cheesiest scream. Why do people keep using it? Because it's funny. It's Everybody recognizes that stock sound scream, okay? <sighs> All right, finish the bottle. When you realize that Sue Storm turning invisible had no purpose throughout the entire film and was only there to make sure no, that Jessica needed, Alba got naked. She she had to sneak past Doom that one the one time. Oh, that when one. he was doing something else in a different room. <laughs> Not focused on her at all. Well, you know, the one scene, the completely okay, fine. Just the one time, the completely worthless time where they're on the bridge and you know, they're all crowded by people and they're like, "Oh, oh, oh what's, what's going what's going on? Sue, you can get past him." And then she starts stripping down and turns invisible and then her powers don't work and she's naked. And then she turns invisible again and it doesn't matter cuz they eventually the crowd opens up anyway. Yeah. In commentary, Jessica Alba was like, I was so pissed that day because that those pages were written in the day of filming. They were written in the day of filming, oh. so we didn't even get to see them before I signed my contract. Because, uh, oh. so, you know, when anything that involves an actor stripping down should be discussed because I feel like there's certain parameters right. of, like, how much body can you reveal and, like, that's your pride and dignity. And they're like, oh, Jessica, we've got some new pages we need you to look at, and we're filming these today. And it's sleazy. That sleazy is, yeah. facts. So I liked yeah. – that. that's a solid commentary, by the way, guys, yeah. to listen to. You learn a, a good amount. Um, also, how hard Iowan tried to have an American accent uh, and how difficult that was for him <laughs> is very apparent. But – any more big drinking r- game rules, guys? Finish, finish the bottle during that scene. Drink to forget. <laughs> that you now know a little bit extra fact about corporate sleaziness. Yay. To get some Jessica Alba cleavage in there when she technically didn't allow it in the proper channels. Okay, looks like it's going to wrap it up for today. Super fans. Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Tri-Op Cop Productions, a name that will soon have a face. How many fucking episodes have we recorded that I've just said that because, and now, soon, the website's up. There's nothing there, but it's up. Yo, you're cramping on my section of the outline. Step off. I'm stepping off. So if you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes because no matter what, you will be able to find us easily on iTunes. Super Movie Studies, it's there. It will never leave you. It will be there forever until iTunes decides to take us down for some dumb reason, which they are totally within their rights to do. And you know what? To prevent them from doing that ever, give us more ratings, you know? Some solid, some solid ratings. Uh, five stars. Tom, Tom here is the first man to have ever rated us on iTunes. Oh yeah. And look and what now, that's done for him. And now he's he's guesting. He's guesting. Runs the Twitter. He has conversations. You know, Tom, I bet you have more conversations with uh, uh, Mustache Pi on Twitter than Ben has with that guy in real life. That's a hundred percent true. Because <laughs> you actually. Is a hoot. <laughs> He's uh, the world's greatest. We need to get him on the show. Send him a line. We Tell really us. should. We should have a Tom Spectacular. Oh, man. Double the Tom, double the fun. Ben, pick us up. Yeah, uh, as as Michael alluded to earlier, trap.com. It's alive. It lives. Uh, there's nothing there. Um, but. 
it's there. Uh, we'll be we'll be adding you know more content as we move forward. Expect that to be a, a hub of super movie studies. Yeah, as well as extra stuff. Send us away, Tom. Uh, SMSP also keeps up an active Twitter feed where yours truly will uh, retweet you and like what you post. Uh, we like to hear all your guys' comments and feedback. Um, we're at Super M Studies. So follow us and send us your questions, comments, and suggestions, and we'll use them on the air. You should have prepped some some tweets to read to us, Tom. To make sure. Oh, I, I mean, I can I can read you any any tweet you want. Like, <laughs> um, for example, the last tweet uh, was for our Star Wars episode. Uh, Mustache Pi <laughs> said, "Don't forget that it's chock full of Y wing stimulators too." Yes. If you listen to our podcast episode, you'll know what he means. <laughs> Y-wing stimulators. You know what? Freudian slip. Uh, that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. Ben Anderson. And Twitter Tom. And I hope you all have a super week. Bye.